Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Seventeen ninety three. The East India Trading Company had renewed its charter for another twenty years of commanding the world's key trade routes. One such route would take ships through the Great Bay of Bengal, home to the Andaman Island Range and its indigenous inhabitants. Along with British occupation, ancient peoples of the main island retreated into the jungles, while the smaller island of North Sentinel, for the time being, would be left isolated. Legends of its hostility would keep seemingly intrepid explorers at a distance until the year 1880. Maurice Vidal Portman, British naval officer in charge of the Andaman Islands, set out from Port Blair with a skeleton crew to North Sentinel Island. Their official intention, to establish friendly relations. Their true intention was to kidnap a Sentinelese tribesman. As the ship approached, Portman's crew began to feel increasingly tense. As their sightline of the unimaginably dense jungle became more clear, dark tales of other crews just like theirs slowly crept into their imaginations. Men being met with a cloud of deadly arrows even while offshore and those ignorant enough to run aground unaware were always greeted with the tip of a spear. Despite their fears, Portman's ship landed safely, only to find a very recently abandoned settlement. Lucky for the crew, the mysterious Sentinelese had once again melted into the lush shelter of the jungle. To this day, the Sentinelese remain an enigma, the world's most isolated and uncontacted groups an ancient pre-Neolithic peoples who have for centuries rejected contact. But who are the Sentinelese? Join us tonight on Into the Portal as we discuss an ancient past and attempt to unravel the mysteries of one of Earth's most bizarre civilizations, the people with no fire. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Yep. Welcome back, everybody. Woo, episode 10. I can't believe that. 
<laughs> it's actually insane. Just milestones all over the we place. We were just sitting here and I was like, is this episode nine, right? This is episode nine. And it's like, no, it's not. It's episode 10, which is wild. I feel like I was making that mistake before I was ahead of the game. And now it was those two-part episodes kept throwing us off. We never knew exactly uh, where we were at, but yeah. we're but. stoked to be on episode 10. This is awesome. Woo, Friday the 13th, too. We're recording hopefully nothing bad. Ooh, yeah, we're doing an early recording this week because we're going to the Fest of Ale. Yes. Yeah, so be sh- we'll be shouting out uh, Pints and Puzzles when we're at that event, that's for sure. <laughs> no but, kidding. But um, before we get started here, uh, you had a little bit of an announcement um, yeah. regarding our beloved furry friends. Yeah. So, uh, if anyone who follows my uh, personal account might have noticed, I put up a post yesterday just talking about our awesome cat, George, who is a rescue from the SPCA. And we actually had an awesome run-in with a stray dog that we managed to safely... Um, return to our local SPCA chapter. That's right. And thankfully, he was reconnected with his owners literally within less than five hours. He was such a sweetie, too. I love that guy. But yeah, it's just super important to have that kind of service around. We're lucky in our society. A lot of times we take it for granted. Definitely. But anyways, yeah, just just to reiterate, I, uh, yeah, my sister, um, her and her husband, Scott, are participating in a run of champions, and they're almost at their goal of raising $500 for the SPCA, which is the charity of their choice. If anyone wants to donate, uh, they would super appreciate it, and so would I, and of course, those furry friends we love so much. So you can go to my, uh, my Instagram, and the link is there, and yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Very cool. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, man, I'm stoked for this one. Yeah, <laughs> this uh, me is, too. Uh, this is definitely a little bit more anthropological this week. It's kind of a different angle than sort of than we've yeah. taken for our previous episodes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of mystery involved still, though. Very mysterious. So mm-hmm. we're basically going to an island called North Sentinel Island mm-hmm. in the Bay of Bengal, mm-hmm. uh, which is... It's actually closer to Malaysia Malaysia than India, but it's technically governed by the right. Indian government. Mm-hmm. And As a protectorate. As a protectorate. So do you want to give a little bit of a bio on the Sentinelese people? Because that's who we are looking at for this episode because they are just absolutely fascinating. Totally fascinating. Okay, well, I think the first thing we should say about these people is that they have been variously described as either pre-Neolithic or Stone Age. So a lot of people consider this uh, uh, representing an important link in the narrative of human evolution. That's why anthropologists have attempted to study these people, but pretty much unsuccessfully, I would say. And uh, yeah, so they're basically a living ancient example of a hunter-gatherer society. They got no farming, uh, no distinctive social structure in the form of, say, priests or chiefs or even witch doctors, like we've discussed with the food. Supposedly, yeah. Like, Sup- I mean, supposedly, from what we know. Right. Because we really don't know much. No. And something else that I just want to include right off the bat is the idea that even though we're talking about the Sentinelese as Stone Age peoples... In the sense that they exist without modern amenities, I just want to reiterate here that they are by no means primitive or unable to adapt. No. If anything, they're probably better Better able able to adapt adapt. than our society is. It's just completely different than what we would be used to. Exactly. And I think we can evidence that in that 2004 earthquake slash tsunami that they survived. Like, and they they were totally fine. They did not need help at all from the outside. If anything, I think India and a lot of those other more developed island chains were doing a couple hours. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. But anyways, yeah. So I wanted to go, like, we're going to give a timeline of contact because the, thing, yeah. the the interesting thing about this island is that it's, sorry, you had a point there to make. Well, yeah, we definitely want to do the timeline, um, roughly the population numbers as well. I think that's important to cover. Yeah, for sure. Because this is a small island we're talking about. This is roughly Tiny. less than 60 miles. 
Or no, sorry, kilometers. 60 kilometers squared. Yeah, right? it was like 59 point something kilometers yeah. squared. Um, so like approximately, yeah, like seven kilometers wide, seven kilometers long. So small. Very small, very circular too, surrounded by a barrier of coral reefs. There's only one beach that you can land on. And that's fiercely guarded by these people. Yes. Unless they see something that's obviously out of their ballpark and then they just melt into the trees. Just disappear. Yeah. So anyways, population, I guess we can give a rough number. What did you come across? 40 to 500. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that's yeah, that was that pretty I much across. what I got to. Yeah. And it's just the reason for that massive gap is because literally for 99.9% of the contact air quotes with the Sentinelese people are from a distance mm-hmm. and you're only seeing people on the shore. Um, but they, the times that people do ha- have been there and they're, we're going to go through the timeline of, of missions to try to befriend, befriend them, but mm-hmm. also other contact as well. And you, they would see, you know, pregnant women and lots of children and mm. things like that. So they're, th- they're thriving, obviously. Yeah. So obviously there's more than 40 individuals on an Island. Like 40 people would be the bare minimum number for mm-hmm. a sustaining population really in yeah. the long run. Right. And apparently... You can see many, many lights at night um, on the beaches and yeah, stuff. So that yeah. kind of points to, again, yeah, a greater population than perhaps they lead one to believe kind of right. thing. You know, that might be a survival tactic on its own a little bit. Yeah. But I think another cool thing about these people is that, yeah, like we said, they are pre-Neolithic. They are basically using bows and arrows for defense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and these long arrows, they're tipped with salvaged iron from shipwrecks. There was one in the 1980s yeah, that so they, cool. they're still salvaging. You Apparently on Google Earth, you can still see the wreckage on the reef. Really? I was actually just looking around on there and I couldn't find it myself. Couldn't see it. You probably <laughs> it was like just a pro. quick glance, quick glance. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, so like they, it's, it's, an, it's, it's pretty wild though, because yeah, such a tiny island, but they subsist off of basically sea turtles. Mm-hmm. There are, there's small game on the island. So there's basically Pigs. like, uh, yeah, like wild boar, lizards. really small. There's lizards, there's insects, uh, and then they fish. They have, um, basically little kind of like stand up canoes mm-hmm. that you'll see around They're ubiquitous around the world for shallow fishing. Little it's like dugout canoe type thing. Yeah. Like for yeah. standing. And then you push in the shallows oh, okay. with like a stick to kind mm-hmm. of move you around. And I guess they spearfish from those. Right. But they also use those spears too. <laughs> I have also heard they eat honey. So they must have a really? good population of bees around. Interesting. Yeah. That's and kind of uh, I think one of the most fascinating things that we haven't actually touched on yet is the idea that these pre-Neolithic peoples do not know how to make fire. Right. That's the crux of this show honestly this episode because it's the most bizarre aspect, it's the most bizarre say. aspect yeah the idea of yeah pre-neolithic in the sense that yeah they were but they're not nomadic that's the thing right like when you think pre-neolithic you're thinking like yeah. hunter gatherers who are wandering around and gap right like right but these people are isolated to a tiny island mm-hmm. so that's really cool they have settlements and so what we wanted to get into with this episode is like how the heck did they get here mm-hmm. who are they descendants of yeah and the stories about about them relating to fire. Why are they so aggressive and why are they so isolationist, right? Right. These are all questions. And, yeah, the whole fa- 
the fire. That's the biggest question. Yeah, absolutely bizarre. How did you, like, miss that? And it's kind of curious to think that, like, we have seen all these stories about anthropologists trying to, like, the drop-off gifts. Things like candy yeah. and uh, yeah. coconuts. They love coconuts. Apparently no coconut trees grow on the island, so that's a big thing for them. Yeah. And uh, I guess some of the anthropologists there, they actually described how they would use their teeth to rip off the husks of the coconuts. Yeah, like they're that hardy. They're very hardy and they have a very distinctive physiology yeah. compared to other islands. Yeah, they look very different. Andamans even. So to give a little bit better perspective on that then. So yeah, it's in the 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 Andaman Island range, right? Mm-hmm. So this is just one particular island, North Sentinel Island. There is a South Sentinel, but that's uninhabited. Mm-hmm. And then there's sort of the mainland where Port Blair is the exactly. capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's an island called Rutland Island just below oh. the main Andaman uh, uh, the bulk of the island range there. Okay. Um, so then their closest sort of neighbors slash like similar peoples are the Jarawa people. Right. Now the Jarawa the, people yeah, Jarawa. are like, they're similar in the sense that they're islanders, mm-hmm. but they're, they're ethnically different. Their, their language yes. is different. They look slightly different. The phenotypes are very different. Yeah, like is, as far as their physiology. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is just so bizarre. So like the Jarawa people have now been sort of sadly, like we see with all kinds of indigenous groups around the world, like attemptably integrated mm. with a, because in like, I think it was the 1950s, there were more Indian settlers on these islands. And this was still during British occupation, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so they would start to interact. There was like, sexual exploitation obviously like alcohol right. being moved it like you know they're yeah. starting to drink and consume different things and it just hasn't been good for a lot the of social issues yeah mm-hmm. so i mean yeah but that that that's it's yeah it's interesting so they're really close by but they're basically totally different people and the Jarawas would avoid the sentinelese throughout history mm. the sentinelese did not have trade with these people they didn't have pleasantries Right. Which is just absolutely they, bizarre. They don't even have a shared language. No. Or even a similar They're dialect. They're like a few kilometers away. Yeah. And they can't communicate with each other. Nope. Crazy, right? It's insane. So do you want to like get into some of the uh, the, the contact timeline? Oh, yeah. Gonna... Yeah. I think you had the earliest reference, hey? Well, here's the thing. Because the problem with an island like this is like, we only have a certain point of, like, recorded history, obviously. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, like, what we have in terms of information on early encounters with these people are from, like, the British right. occupation. Yeah. But we, I did come across this one interesting point that none other than Marco Polo, mm-hmm. who we know obviously did extensive travels, but who also reminds me a lot of a guy like Herodotus, who oh, yeah. we've mentioned a million times where he was traveling around and he was getting sort of secondhand accounts of things. Mm-hmm. And that's where lots of stereotypes and stories right, would come right. up, right? Because he's All hearing about something elements. that happened 100 years before, but he just happens to be there now and asking about it. But Marco Polo is supposedly single-handedly responsible for the rumor that the Sentinelese people were cannibals. Okay. So I thought that was really interesting. That's that, yeah. Um, I've that, definitely seen that come yeah, up too. Because mm-hmm. that rumor has persisted for a long time. Yeah. And there's been also, you know, intruders that have gone to the island that have been killed yep whether or not they've been eaten or not is rumors mm-hmm. but that's where this that's where this rumor came from he basically said the great enemies group oh where's the quote no 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 oh the great out of no i've lost it you know i'll find it again it's I'll funny that you say that though and like how people perceive them as cannibals because i read a story about how there was a neighboring tribe that was known for i can't remember if it was the ung or another one of the smaller groups that was now extinct but essentially what um 
what they would do is part, part of their spirituality was after their dead were deceased, yeah. their relatives or whatever, they would actually cut up their bodies and burn the flesh so that they couldn't come back as a demonic spirit. And so a lot of um, outsiders saw that and interpreted it as, oh, well, they're cooking flesh. They're obviously going to eat it. Interesting. But no, they were actually just doing that as part of a ritual practice. So this is the funny it's thing, a cleansing too. It's like thing. we keep coming back to these things. Which mm-hmm. started, you, was that the drow or the Centellini? No, I think it was the Ong. The Ong people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or it could have been a smaller group that's now extinct. I can't remember. Exactly. Right. Because there's mm-hmm. been a few in that island range that are just no longer there. Like they and, then, and then that's where the rumors sort of sprang up. And then other local tribes were fearful of this. And so they kind of spread around is a warning and then okay. kind of just got misattributed to the yeah. Sentinelese because they were so aggressive and right. so isolationist and no one knew anything about them so right. therefore assume the worst <laughs> but here's the difference obviously the one point about this that's interesting it's like mm-hmm. well they don't have fire technically yeah so yeah you can't really have ritualistic body burning and also the stories of lights on the beach obviously mm-hmm. that was when they happened to have it at the time because when they go to make it again supposedly they don't know how so maybe we should clarify this because i don't think we actually we've we've talked about we how they apparently yet. don't know how to make fire yes but we have also alluded to the fact that they're at nighttime you can see all these lights on the island obviously these are not <laughs> there's no electricity it is fire so what we've read in several accounts is that these people wait for a lightning strike yeah. And then they keep the embers burning for as long as possible inside the hollows of trees and things yes. like that yeah. for protection. Yeah. So that's kind of where where the confusion might arise if people are listening to this for the first yeah. time being like, wait a second, <laughs> you're contradicting yourself right off the bat here. Yeah. But yeah, it's very fascinating to think that they just don't know how to make it. Maybe there's no flint. There's no, like, you know, there's nothing that would create a spark. There ha- Come on, you can make... I know, you, right? You, you, you think. You, you like, even metal, if you're like, if they have... Well, maybe, but the, you know, well, maybe it's just because the fires that we... I don't know, like maybe it's 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 wet and dense in the jungle, so they mm-hmm. they do know how to make fire, but when they do make it's it, really they difficult. make it at the it, you know, we don't see it because it's you know, maybe. it's tough to make where like in in the dense jungle where it's wet. So they kind yeah. of are like they have their methods of doing it in there and then whatever happens outside on the beach or whatever I don't know. Like, it's just, it's just so from, strange. You know? I, well I came across that in a bunch of different accounts where yeah, it was lightning strike. No, but where did, way. yeah, but how, how, how did that information come to light? You know what I mean? I mean, a boat positioned offshore monitoring, like, and there's a storm, perhaps? Yeah. Oh, another thing I kind of lost track of in my thought about the anthropologists coming to visit and leaving these gifts of coconuts and whatever else. Yeah. Why aren't they leaving any matches? <laughs> you think that would be pretty useful? Or would they just imagine that they wouldn't know how to use it? You'd think they'd figure it out. I don't know. Or Maybe like they a lighter, would. like a Zippo. Right? Be like, here's his... And then show them, but anyways. But then at the same time, it's like, it's more, that, you know... Maybe you just let them figure it out. Yeah, it's, less, yeah, it's more interesting <laughs> to see how they manage, like, than to be like, oh, here's a Zippo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just very fascinating. Yeah. Um, Did you find that quote from Marco? I can't find it. Yeah. It was, but I'll tell you right now, though, it, it'll be in the notes, but it was basically along the lines of that they were the most aggressive and savage people that he had come across in the region. Really? Um, so obviously even back in like the 13th century, they were uh, not too keen on uh, setting up a and b Let's just say that. Mm. They didn't... Um, they killed people and they still do. Um, and the Indian government allows them to do so basically like there's no way to prosecute it right these people right. we don't even understand their language really like ling- linguistic linguistic work has been slow 
mm-hmm. for a lot of these people. Same with the Jarawa. So that's why they've kind of been designated as a protectorate. They yeah. are there's like a three mile radius around the island that no one is allowed to enter, yeah. even though there are people that illegally fish from time to time there, and, and they're taking a risk. I tell you one thing, I wouldn't be fishing no, there, no. and we'll tell you why in a sec. but but yeah very interesting because obviously yeah if it's um it's surrounded by coral reefs therefore there's lots of fish there's lots of natural things that would be and sea turtles all that sea turtles and the poaching of sea turtles is the main reason why like people go there that that aren't supposed to nowadays Mm -hmm. yeah uh but i think we should get into the timeline because it's just fascinating so we started with marco polo got to marco so that's 13th century marco polo (laughs) then we're moving into the 1700s. Okay. So, apparently, like, this was from a couple of different sources, but supposedly the earliest recorded mention of North Sentinel came in 1771 from a British surveyor named John Ritchie. Hmm. Did you come across that? Nope. He basically, um, yeah, he, he surveyed the island, but he never made contact with the people. He only, like, saw them from shore. He um, surveyed it as in he was on shore doing like he no was... like surveyed it from a boat okay <laughs> like surveyed it from just like the approximate size and location he was an armchair explorer on his all armchair right, on the boat all right. I guess you could say rocking it um yeah <laughs> what else do I have here basically and then I thought he did something interesting this John Ritchie guy but I think it must have been somebody else and then in eight, the eighteen hundreds we've got a guy by the name of M V Portman. Another yeah. British officer. So his real, his full name is Maurice Vidal Portman. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um... I had two different accounts He him, He basically found trackers in the area on the Adam and East Island range who had supposedly had contact with the Sentinelese people. Mm-hmm. And so he contracted them to take him to the island. And this was the guy who basically found... When the Acadia the trackers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When they got to the island... They, I mean, it's such a tiny island, right? How are you supposed, like, presumably you it's, you can find these people, right? It's tiny. But all they found was abandoned villages. So they moved into the brush. Yeah. Abandoned. No, I described as freshly abandoned. Freshly abandoned. So, again, they're melting into the forest. Yes. Mm-hmm. They just disappear. Yeah. Um, the only people that were there, now this is strange. There were supposedly two elderly Sentinelese people and two children that were still in this abandoned village. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, so it's just... I don't know, yeah. like, why? Like, why? You know what I mean? Like, why would you just leave maybe two kids were... there? Like, <laughs> or maybe oh, they're like... I had described an elderly couple and four youths. Oh, okay. So that may be a different source. Slightly different, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why we try to pull up as many sources as we can. But anyway, they were basically in the name of science. This is the 1800s. Mm-hmm. They were basically stolen and taken to Port Blair, which is on the mainland. Mm-hmm. Um, or, well, the main island, I should say. And studied, like, for a short period of time. And basically the British way of doing things at the time was to take people away. Right. Tr- treat them really nice. It's almost like Pocahontas. Yep. Treat them real good. And then release them back into their homeland with the hopes that they'd, you know, say, yeah, these guys are pretty okay. And then you swoop in and take all their stuff. When I think of it that way, it almost sounds like, kind of like, why don't you just skip skip that step? And if you're going to take stuff, just just go in and take it. It just seems like, why, like it's just... Why do you need all like the a, false pretenses, yeah, man? Like, it's That's just, just the British way. It's like, oh, like, we're so full of civilization <laughs> and oh, we're so... Yeah. We're going we're gonna to kill gonna you the nice way. five colors because that just signifies how, uh, <laughs> how civilized I am. But wait, no, we're just going to yeah. take all your stuff. So that's how it went down. So, um, and then they released them back 
after the after. elderly couple had died. The elderly couple had died. Mm-hmm. For, like, from disease, contact yeah. with the Europeans. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate. Obviously, yeah, if you're elderly, you're going to have a weakened immune system anyway. But yeah. the shock of that would be quite overwhelming. And then you even had the point where it's like, yeah, they brought the youths back and they didn't hear from them for a while. Like, you know, and maybe they were dealing with disease. That could have could have ravaged them, really. Yeah, from so, those two kids going back. Because people didn't see them for quite a few years after that. You know, it's interesting um, about this Maurice Portman is that like, yeah, like you said, like he, classic British methods, like, you know, colonizer, whatever. I kind of had conflicting reports on, well, not reports, but like, like, you know, he, he definitely had some sentiments that were um, benevolent and were sympathetic towards these people. Yeah. Um, but then I had this other, other quote from... Oh my gosh. Yeah, basically it was just saying how he never, after his sort of, um, his, oh my gosh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like they, on their journey, their mission to go get these Sentinelese and whatever, and they're on the island and they do all this stuff, but he never actually issued a report on them after the whole expedition was over. And yeah, and it just said, um, there was a quote here that talked about how he had taken a number of photographs, however that are kept at the Anthropological Survey of India at Calcutta. But these are of little scientific value because they depict um, little more than just uh, the Portman's Akabia trackers, the people he hired, um, posing as Sentinelli in what Portman, this is a quote here, what Portman must have fancied as typical situations such as cooking, sleeping, keeping on the lookout for enemies. So he was just trying to... It says here, Portman obviously let his imagination run free and allowed his Akabia posiers to ham it up to quite a hilarious degree. Entertaining as these photographs are, the lack of any surviving report on the scientific findings made by Portman's expedition is rather unfortunate. And today, little more is known about the Sentinelese than in the 1880s. <laughs> but again, so you get this, he, he's, he's getting these Akabia trackers to ham it up and pose for something that's totally unlegit, apparently. But then on the other end, um, apparently he actually addressed the Royal Geographic Society later on. And he stated, this is a quote from him, he said, quote, their, their association, as in the Sentinelese's association with outsiders, has brought them nothing but harm. And it is a great matter of regret to me that such a pleasant race has so rapidly become extinct. We could better spare many another. End quote. Interesting. So, yeah, like, he definitely, he wasn't... He wasn't just out he wasn't for... Heartless. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it's misguided, kind of, you know? Right. And it's kind of hard to see how it couldn't be at that time, obviously. Right. It was sort of just the way it was. Mm-hmm. Um... Just the way it was, huh? Just the way it was. So <laughs> It's I mean, so funny because we came across so much of this when we were in school, hey? With, like, you know, the various um, global attempts at colonizing certain peoples and, and attempts at neocolonial methods now in, like, modern days and, like, with neoliberalism and all this stuff. And we're not really going to get into that right now, but it definitely was bringing me right back to those sorts of ideas in my mind. Yeah. And it's hard to even, like, I did a post kind of hyping up this episode, and I said something about how, like, you know, like, fire is so vital to the progression of human civilizations. And it's like, that in itself is almost a false pretense, in a sense. Like, the idea that humans and their civilizations must be progressing on this linear route, like, you know, of of development. Even that word development, you can unpack that one, hey? Like, it's just... Yeah, I mean... It's full of misnomers and, and uh, things that mask, um, 
neo-imperial forms of power and things like that and just like cultural Definitely. hegemonies and whatever. For but sure. Anyway, I'm throwing out a whole bunch of words here that are kind of That's okay. off the beaten track oh, of I where mean, we're, we're going. I mean, this is an anthropological episode, so... True. I mean... It's a lot of important stuff that a lot of people like. It is, and I think that it's super. I mean, this is sort of what I wanted to end on for the episode, but I mean, yeah, it's important that these people are left alone, and it, for that exact reason, right? Yeah. For all these reasons, because it's just a precedent for everyone. Mm-hmm. And like I said this to you um, when we were reading the other night, where it was like, I'm almost jealous of them, mm-hmm. like a little bit, like you know, like we sit here and we stress about things that they couldn't even comprehend, yeah. and I'm jealous of that a little bit. Like it's yeah. a simple way of living. But it's there's something so beautiful about it too. Really, it like is yeah. not having any contact with the outside world. It's almost like a Garden of Eden in a sense. Or it's I like mean, original sin has not incurred on it's, that it's part of just, the. It's fascinating. Even that is a false narrative. I've too. got an interesting <laughs> another interesting account from the 1800s. Cool. So Let's 1867. So basically, Port what? Blair. And, so that's uh, even earlier than. Uh, Portman and his expedition then. Yeah, yeah. This was just like, well, okay, because Port Blair and the mainland were, was starting to be used by the British for convicts, similar to like Australia. The penal colony. Yeah. yeah. So basically 1867, there were ships kind of traveling through in the area carrying convicts. Mm-hmm. And one of them on the way back, um, was, it was actually a merchant ship, but it was dropping off supplies like in relation to the penal system, basically. Um <laughs> And how it was shipwrecked on a reef uh, oh, really? right just just north of North Sentinel Island. So it was reported to have 86 surviving passengers mm-hmm. and 20 of the crewmen landed safely on the beach. Um, of but North si- Sentinel? Of North Sentinel. Um, as soon as they were, they were attacked by the Sentinelese. And the, captor, the captain who survived and made it back to Port Blair um, wrote that the savages were perfectly naked with short hair and red painted noses, which is not accurate. Um, and making sounds like pa on ooh. So get away. Their, that's their probably arrows, what that translates their arrows to. appeared to be tipped with iron. Oh yeah. So that's the, the you know. Ooh, and that's from the eighteen hundreds. Yeah. So obviously there were wreckages in the area prior yeah. to you know the turn of the century. That makes there. me think of the Chinese because they would have had that type of technology. Right. Because that's Way the thing. Back. Marco Polo was supposedly there in the thirteenth century, but mm-hmm. there had to have been Chinese explorers and possibly even Who knows? Uh, like Arab explorers. Yeah. Like early Arab explorers. Eastern, yeah. Right? Um there definitely were people in that area going like checking things out way before the British and way that's before Yeah. So anyway. Um that's interesting that you bring up. Yeah, so basically all of them were killed off except for the captain. How the heck did he get out of there? The, the captain and a few other crew survived. Okay. Um, he, I guess he was probably one of the ones who made it into a lifeboat and the rest swam to shore, I guess. I don't <laughs> I know. the captain like, goes down with the ship, man. <laughs> hey, not everybody is so honorable. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I screw this, <laughs> it's a bunch of freaking convicts. <laughs> like, no yeah, way, well, man. Like, well, this one was a merchant ship, but still. Oh, it's like, oh, sorry. I thought he was carrying prisoners. No, I was, was going to say, this is perfect little lead into another account that I had. Okay. Again, this is like turn of the 20th century, so 18, yeah. 1896. Okay. And this... <laughs> When I first saw it described, I was like, this is one of the first recorded encounters. And I was like, yeah, pretty sure it's not. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently, yeah, there was an escaped Indian convict from the penal colony who ended up, I don't know how the heck this happened. Maybe he jumped ship or something. But apparently, yeah, he um, washed up on the shores of North Sentinel. You're laughing as if it's like... <laughs> I'm just going back to the uh, the... <laughs> 
reviews we found on Google. <laughs> oh my gosh. So for we North searched, Sentinel. so we go to search North Sentinel Island. I was like, this would be a great vacation spot for my mother-in-law. There's 1,600 <laughs> reviews. 1,600. And we're like, this has to be a mistake. Like, so we, we start, start reading, reading them. them. <laughs> and it's like, oh, go I've, check it out, people. Yeah, it's no, hilarious. you have to. It's like, I sent my mother to North Sentinel Island, my mother-in-law to North Sentinel Island on a lovely vacation. I haven't seen her for a few years. I wonder how she's doing. The one about, like, how they have an excellent exercise program. I don't even mind being chased down the beach by flaming arrows. Yeah. (laughs) like, well, I don't know if they're flaming, but okay. Yeah, I don't know about that. But anyways, to get back to the story, yeah, this guy, I started laughing. Yeah, that's just my morbid sense of humor. A little bit. That's okay. Um, So, yeah, he was a convict, escaped, and apparently his body was discovered, abandoned on the shores. Um, shortly later, with his throat sliced, and he was riddled with arrow holes. All right, can I sell that to anyone? Anyone want to go on a vacation? Going once, going twice. Yep, and it's gone. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, yeah, so that was just another little blurb. Interesting. Um, That was kind of the last thing I got for the 1800s. Did you... Yeah, that was kind of the last bit for that, too. Mm -hmm. And then it's when it starts to get really interesting. It kind of jumps up to the 1960s. And this is with the anthropologist. Mm -hmm. How do you pronounce this guy's first name? Uh, Oh, here. Um, Trilocknath Pandit? Yeah, Trilocknath. Trilocknath. Dr. Pandit. (laughs) Dr. Pandit, Indian anthropologist and also a director for the Anthropological Survey of India. Hmm. Yeah. Very official. But he was one of the, he was the lead anthropologist, right? In this whole, he wasn't even, the way it's described is like, he was sort of thrust into that spot. He didn't really even want to um, intrude on these people so much, but it was kind Mm -hmm. of an imperative put on him by the state. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he was the son of like, he was mixed race, I think, right? Like he was. Half Indian. Yeah. He was, he was only part Indian. um, And he was from an upper class family mm. and like, yeah, he kind of ended up just being thrust into this role, but he ended up like loving it. He, right. He, he was totally one of the few people it. to, I don't know if you'd phrase it as befriending the Sentinelese, but he was the closest possible thing to that. They didn't kill him. No, he made contact. So he was on the Island several times, um, lost yes. several pairs of glasses supposedly, because what they would do is they would strip him bare. Cause the way he described it is like, they just could not make sense of clothing. And they were just so curious. They're like, what are you hiding under there? Like, why are you dressed essentially? So they would basically strip them down and, and then laugh at them. Cause they were so silly with, you know, their stupid clothes and all that. Right. And the glasses was a big thing and watches. Yeah. They were like, what is that? Like, like, you know, Obviously, it'd be like... Mm-hmm. So his group, like, they made several incursions starting in the 1967? Yep. Mm-hmm. Giving gifts of coconuts and iron. And so there's really cool videos of this. Yes. Um, so we'll, 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 we'll All have those that in are the gonna links. Have, yeah, on our resource page. And up on our YouTube as well. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it's just really... It's interesting. So basically, the early expeditions of trying to befriend the Sentinelese people, like, nobody made it to shore. It was... You're just... They, you're they were just... They were, you know... In the surf, kind of yeah, like throwing deep. stuff, exchanging yep. stuff. And that's and... as close as they would get. Mm-hmm. But it's so cool when you watch the video, um, one of the later ones where they weren't kind of grabbing their genitals and showing and, and mm. doing these things that were really distinctly being like, yeah, we don't, we're not interested kind, mm-hmm. kind of gestures. Um, 
they had this really positive contact, but then like you pointed out in that one part of the video where there's like an obviously not an elderly woman, but like an older woman, Sentinelese woman, mm-hmm. who walks into the water and is like grabbing the arm of like a young a boy younger. who's like so fascinated. He's yeah. like wide-eyed, like staring at these people, and she's, she's like pulling them back she's into like, the nope, back to the me. beach and pulling them back into the jungle. Like you can't trust these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just really interesting to see. Yeah, that was really cool. Well, just like it's yeah, again, just so bizarre. Yeah, and, and, and the whole time they're um, shouting words in Jarawa, in the Jarawa right. language. and they were making motions and to... And doing some similar gestures that they had seen before yeah. that were not negative ones. Mm-hmm. But they don't know if, uh, if... I mean, well, we do know that the languages don't cross over. What they don't know is whether or not they understand it at all. Right? right. Like, if they might not speak the Jarawa language, but if they may have still over the centuries or at least over the more recent decades possibly been at least acquainted with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There was no signs to support that sort of suggestion. Though. But they had to have had contact with the Jarawa in order to outright avoid them. You know what I mean? Like you're not, yeah, you, you had to know they exist in order to outright avoid them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise the Sentinelese people probably would have moved on to some of these other islands if there was nobody else there. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know what I mean? There's Unless, nothing to threaten them. There's nothing to well, they be are, oppositional. They are kind of in an awkward spot, though. Like, they're pretty... The, is, the island itself is pretty isolated. And that's the... In, other, well, that's the part... That's the that's the interesting thing is, like, how the, how they got there at all. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because they don't practice seafaring practices. No. Like, they just hunt in the surf and around the coral reefs. Yeah. And don't really venture much further. I don't know. Yeah, that's... Yeah. We have a whole whole discussion on that coming up yeah but yeah so this dr pandit he he kind of i was reading through a few articles that he had written and other people had written about him and how there was this one instance where they were finally successful and it took them so they started doing this in the 60s so 67 yeah wasn't until 91 that they were actually able him and his colleagues were met on the beach by a party of what's described as 28 men, women, and children who were unarmed for once. Yeah. And it says, this is a quote from Mr. Pandit. He said, They may not have chiefs, but a decision had obviously been taken by the Sentinelese to be friendly towards us. We still don't know how or why. And so it's 1991, and he made this breakthrough. And so he's kind of been the only person to sort of break through that wall. And I guess now what they do is they practice when they go to see them they practice the traditional sentinelese greeting which is <laughs> which is um apparently um you sit in the f- in a friend's lap and you slap your right buttock vig- vigorously like <laughs> <laughs> just okay. slap it real good just slap it yeah. interesting i'm gonna try that next time we meet a friend and see how that goes <laughs> But there were yeah. so many, like the 1990, or sorry, 90s, the 1900s in particular, the, the second half, was full of these sorts of um, tentative uh, incursions by white people, well, not white people, but by outsiders. Yeah. And then sort of clashes. Did you have anything like from, like I had one from the 80s. Oh, <laughs> I have a little blurb here about ex-King Leopold of Belgium. Really? <laughs> did you come across nope, that one? Nope, I did not. Let's yeah, hear it. Yeah, apparently. He was just traipsing through the area on one of his big old ships. I don't know, like, what the premise of this was, but I guess he had he had the permission of the Indian government or okay. whatever, and he had a whole royal expedition with him. 
And uh, basically, they landed the expedition on North Sentinel, and only to be faced by a volley of arrows. From a lone warrior, though. Apparently, just one guy. Really? And he started just shouting, and then he gave them the... You know, where they like, the um, they turn around and they squat as if they're going to defecate, but yeah. they're not actually defecating. And it's just, again, it's just a totally F like, off kind yeah, of a warning yeah. kind of a thing. Terrifying, really. Right? But <laughs> they, they made it out. They made it out. Yeah. Was it, you told me some story about like a TV producer or something or director. Okay, well, supposedly, okay, well, there was a few, I mean, there was a bunch of trips in the 70s, like you mentioned. So like there was a trip in 70, 74, another one later in 74, 75, 77. Oh, that was the Leopold of Belgium. That was 74. Yeah, okay. Apparently. Right. So it was on one of these trips where these early videos were taken, the ones that we will show. Mm. It's kind of grainy, like you can tell it was shot in the 1970s. Yeah. I don't know if this is true or not, but I have this one um, article online that said that in on one of these trips, <laughs> they were, yeah, they were however many yards off of shore and the camera one of the cameramen got hit in the leg with an arrow. We <laughs> And it just the reminded me of the... Uh, the um, Ace Ventura, when nature calls, where he gets speared in both legs, and he's like, ah, ah, on either side. They leg. just start laughing. At yeah, them. and I know I'm I'm laughing at this guy's expense. I'm sure his leg was fine, but um, <laughs> he made it. Hopefully, he's okay. Anyway, I thought that was funny. Though. <laughs> Sorry, what year was that again? That was in the seventies. Okay, so again, another seventies. Yeah. Then there was the eighties. In the eighties, we're just going through the decades here. Come well, on, guys. really, get oh, up yeah. with the nineties. I had that funny, um, it was the Primrose. That was where the, that ship just got grounded on a coral reef. Okay. And they were stranded at sea for a few days before being rescued by, I think it was a helicopter came and got okay. them. But after a few days, um, the captain and his crew started to observe that there were small, this is a quote here, that small black men were carrying spears and arrows and building boats on the beach to attack them with. And they kind of had a little bit of a skirmish clash, and eventually, yeah, they were picked up by a helicopter. But yeah, it was just a... And after they had actually got rescued, the salvagers that came in to remove the wreckage, uh, again, they clashed violently. And they were scared. Like, these salvagers were terrified. Like, they were requesting to the Indian government for, like, firearms and stuff for protection, and and apparently the requests were denied initially and all this stuff, and... Because they were obviously trying to look out for the North Sentinel. They're like, yeah, yeah. as you know, like I don't know, but yeah, very, um, <laughs> yeah, just terrifying, really, uh, for both sides. Though, could you imagine how, like, even yeah, it's just it would be mind-boggling to come across some of these like modern amenities and technologies that we have from the eyes of a totally Sentinelese just, it would person. Be, yeah, just alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just alien. Out of this world. Yeah. So we were going to move on to some other accounts and like through the uh, through the sort of timeline of contact. But before we continue, I thought we would stop for a, a little break, a little promo break. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So yeah. we are... For our friends, um, Zanger and Ellie yeah. over at Zang This Podcast. Mm-hmm. Super fun show. It's really fun, the yeah. The manager is pretty awesome. Yeah, they're a cute duo. And uh, yeah. So yeah, if you like comics, um, they talk about comics, video games, movies, so much more. We're actually really excited because uh, we're going to be part of a roundtable discussion coming up in the oh, summer. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to be on the show with them. So it's going to be really fun. So you guys should check it out. And if you like it, please subscribe. Absolutely. They would appreciate it. And yeah. All right, guys, let's take a little listen to Zeng This. Hmm. 
fan of movies. Or comics. Or video games. Or just anything else nerdy. Well, you should check out the Zing Zing This Podcast. Podcast. And that's spelled Z-E-N-G. This. And you can find us every Monday. And we have nerdy topics from comic book reviews to in-depth analysis of iconic nerdy movies. As well as video game discussions. Mm Mm-hmm. Where's some of the best places to find us, Allie? Well, Podbean, of course. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Podcast. Yeah. So check us out. Once again, that is Zing Zing This. This. And we're back. Wow. That was an awesome little promo there. Yeah. Go check them out. Definitely. Yeah. So, we just have a few little wrap-ups, I guess, for our timeline of contact. Yeah. Um, and just, like, you know, noteworthy events in the area, things like that. Definitely. So, we kind of covered the 1990s. Um, Which was the most profound decade of contact. 91 exactly. was the, where Dr. Pandit was able to make the mo- the, the deepest contact, so, so to speak, into Deepest inroads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Slowly breaking down those barriers. Yeah. Which is but cool. it's interesting because, yeah, like, he is definitely of the mind that these people should probably be left in isolation. Just left alone. Mm-hmm. So, and they have been since then. So, I mean, the, the, the dropping mission, like, the gift dropping missions. They've stopped. They stopped. Um, you know, Part- it's illegal to go there. Exactly. Poachers still will end up in the area. Um, but uh, they're not supposed to be there and people have gone to jail for it. And I've got a story about that too. But we were going to mention the 2004 earthquake. Yeah. Uh, and that was a tsunami. huge event for the area. Like yeah. it killed, I think upwards of 200,000 people. Oh, over, yeah. Over 200,000 200, 200, people. Yeah. It was and crazy. Exactly. And like, uh, yes, huge devastation. Um, there was a, a massive seismic uplift of several islands and coral reefs coral reefs coral reefs reefs including uh north sentinel island it was very dramatic and very visible from satellite images in the days after and even the island itself has changed dramatically like they're the sentinelese were fine their settlements weren't the river was completely destroyed that that's just it it's like it was amazing so so that's earthquake and tsunami happen Mm -hmm. And then once things had settled down, the Indian government sends choppers to basically just check on them. Just rescue just operations. Just to see if any personnel. of them are still alive. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I mean, the one story that I had pulled up here was that a lone Sentinelli tribesman, you know, started shooting arrows at a helicopter. There's a famous photo of that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's the, I think it's the closest shot of a Sentinelese person that we have to date. Other than film. the stuff like handing the coconuts true, in the nineties or whatever, true, yeah, um, maybe close of where where he's fully armed, ready to go, exactly. like, like you can see ready. he's got the arrow yeah. locked and loaded and ready to roll. Um, I did see a few other photos too, but where there was more than just the one, yeah. But basically, that was the story. A lone a lone tribesman was out there shooting arrows at a helicopter, and clearly they had survived a tsunami on an island that is really small. And it was also clear that they did not need or want help. No, obviously not. <laughs> they <did> not. <laughs> clearly they did. Unless, I mean, that's just it though. Getting into like the mythology, their mythology potentially or whatever. Yeah. It's like, what do they see a helicopter as? Right. Like now that it's, well, at this point in time, 2004, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've, they had seen planes before going over, right? They'd seen cargo ships. Yeah. Huge but what freighters. are you thinking about these things? Do you think that the storm was brought by 
machines or creatures such as like the, the chopper that's well, maybe flying they thought overhead. we're the cause of it yeah right mm-hmm. so anyway that's kind of interesting that but is... they did survive they're very which is just yeah and then impressive. less than two years later we get this other instance where yeah. there was the two fishermen um fishing illegally uh, it was sunder raj age 48 and pandit tiwari which was aged 52 yeah they're fishing for mud crabs uh, again off of so- north sentinel and they fell asleep. Fell asleep. They decided to drop anchor, which yep. their version of anchor was a rope with a rock tied to it. Yep. And thought it was secure enough, was not secure enough. Nope. And aided by a heavily induced sleep caused by alcohol. Yep. Yes, of quantities of alcohol from what I read. <laughs> uh, yeah, they basically did not wake up in time. No, so they they drifted in. The, the end of, their slowly, boat ends up drifting into yeah. North Sentinel beach into the surf uh and there there was i read accounts where there was other fishermen from afar that were yelling at them were trying to get them to wake up but apparently they were just too drunk just yeah just well i don't want to say that and have it not be true but that's what every article i read said well that sounds pretty likely i mean it's 2006 they're chilling on a boat Mm -hmm. that sounds about right fishing illegally so yeah lo and behold uh these two guys didn't uh get to go fishing the next day no. because uh the sentinelese yeah <laughs> got to them they volleyed so, them with arrows yeah, as in they, their usual yeah and then there was that other thing where there was a brief rumor going around that they had actually eaten these two people right eaten and uh yeah and they they were actually found like the helicopter that went in to sort of check on their remains and check on the boat that they found on the beach uh i guess like the I don't even know what you'd call it, but, like, the wind generated from the propellers of the helicopter uh, revealed, like, it washed the sands off of the bodies, right. and they just saw them. They were on the beach. They are yeah. dead. They are just, yeah. they're, they weren't eating nothing. No. So, again, just um, Not cannibals, that. but just, yeah. yeah. Um, do you, and the question is, is this just something that they're, they're killing them because they're outsiders and then burying them on the beach just to get them out of the way, or did they think... Or are they reminded of a time when perhaps disease mm-hmm. had spread yeah. from some sort of contact, unwanted contact, and so they bury the bodies mm-hmm. because they can't burn them because they don't happen to have a lightning strike that's mm. still burning at the time yeah. <laughs> to use. So hmm. anyway, but those two guys didn't make it. And basically the family members of these two fishermen, they uh, they weren't even upset at the Sentinelese. Really? Like they were not mad at them. They mm-hmm. were basically like, look... They, sh- they shouldn't have been there. Yeah. They, f- they floated in. It's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But they, I mean, it's... that's just, that's the way she goes. Like, yeah. the, basically, North Sentinel Island is, is for all intents and purposes, considered a sovereign state. Uh, they don't, they don't have statehood, but essentially they are. I mean, they are, they're immune to prosecution. Exactly. You can't prosecute anything. How exactly. are you, how would you? So, uh, how would the concept of justice even be conveyed? You know what I mean? Like they would just be right. Yeah. Right. It wouldn't make sense. Absolutely. So anyway, the family was uh, justice, right? You invade a a foreign country and it's people, you better expect to have some hostility. Absolutely. So I came across this other dickhead who basically has been (laughs) hunting for, uh, yeah, that's called spade to spade. That's exactly (laughs) what he is. He's been to jail nine times. Oh, the turtle guy. And yeah, the turtle guy. I have his name too. I was just going to slander this this dude. But basically, (laughs) yeah, he's, he'd been arrested nine times for poaching sea turtles in the bay. Mm -hmm. And uh, illegally entering the tribal reserve of the uh, Andaman Islands. 
he just keeps paying the fines. He goes to jail for a few months and then gets out. And basically this is like the perfect example of how like the Indian government is clearly not that concerned about protecting these areas. They're sort mm-hmm. of just half ass. It's more just like lip service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they're not really. Maybe they don't have the um, capabilities though too. Well, possibly. Like they have a coast guard, I mean, right? But how often could they be circling around? Right. Yeah, I know. Right. But, um, yeah, nine times this guy. So what I'm saying is next time he gets caught, I think we should just Stop tie him up. Board. Yeah, tie him up on a board and just be like, I'm sorry, Ace sir, Ventura but style. we're unfortunately having to extradite you to the North Sentinel uh, so they can uh, proceed with their own prosecution, mm-hmm. which will essentially just be a spear to the back of the head. But uh, <laughs> There you go. <laughs> because that's just kind of like, that's literally one of the few resources they have. And if you're just going back nine times and not getting hit with arrows, just mirac- miraculously, mm-hmm. I think they should have a chance to uh, for some target practice. <laughs> yeah. That's just me. That's They're just excellent me. Excellent marksman. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So that kind of wrapped it up for me as far as finding uh, modern day contact. Yeah, that's kind of the end of the timeline. There hasn't been a lot since. Um, I think they've just kind of. There was a master plan put forth by the Indian government. This was in 1991. And I think that they've significantly backed off since, especially since the earthquake. But even before that, there was an instance with the Jarawa again, where there was a skirmish and and there was a lot of bad PR and they were just like, you know what? Yeah, we just, we, 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 we need to stop doing what we're doing because it's kind of, it's, Again, like, it's this lip service of, of good notions and, and, you know, like, all these, uh, whatever, yeah. intentions. And, exactly. And they, yeah, it's just kind of one of those things where I hope um, that doctor that, was his name, Dr. Pandit? I hope he has his way because he basically was of the mind. Just again, wants that, him to be left alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's actually a website called survivalinternational.org, which oh, is yeah. where we pulled up a lot of the information yeah. uh, on the Sentinelese people. You can donate. Um, you can donate and you can also, um, they have it like queued up. I, I did it myself earlier where you can just click a link right from their website and it's already all basically filled in for you um, for a letter to the Indian government. Um, basically no saying, way. yeah, basically just being like, uh, asking for better protection of the Sentinelese people. And you can do that for other basically endangered peoples, um, all around the world because there's, uh, indigenous tribes in the Amazon that are on the verge of extinction and things like that too. So I thought that was kind of neat. So go check out survivalinternational.org because they've got some cool resources on there. Sweet. But, um, for now, yeah. I think... It'd be cool to dive into some... Kind of ideas? Some of, yeah, theories? Some, some ideas, some theories, some science. Like, yes. I have some notes here on, like, an estimated, like, um, history of these people in the area. Go for it, Amber. Let's get into it. So, basically, DNA analysis. I was reading a few different peer-reviewed articles about this. A lot of the language is above my uh, understanding, but <laughs> I can okay. get the main points. Right. Uh, so basically, there was DNA analysis of the neighboring tribe, the Garawa, that we've discussed already. And this basically suggests that the islanders and much of the sort of uh, archipelago... Oh my god, I'm totally saying <laughs> that wrong. <laughs> archipelago? Archipelago! Yep, archipelago. Uh, a lot of these people kind of... Either they came um, in a mass migration approximately 60,000 years ago. This is um, the late Pleistocene era. Uh, This is supported by 
their physiology right. and of course the mitochondrial DNA yes. samples. Yeah. So I also have some like clues that are less scientific that would sort of point to they're inhabiting these places for a really long time. And again, we're coming back to sea turtles right. for this. Uh, so these sea turtles have adapted to avoid the inhabitants. Right. So and cool. It's this be- is something not seen anywhere else. No. Like you even went to, you went to Hawaii and you were swimming with sea turtles. Yeah. Like I accidentally headbutted one because it was (laughs) swimming above me and I was like down below and then I like pushed off the ground and like, like to go up and I bonked my head underneath one and it hurt. And I was like, what the heck? But no, that that was at the Hanama Bay like reserve and they're not, they're not intimidated by humans at all. So that kind of suggests some people, this isn't me suggesting, this is a scholar, suggests that the turtles have adapted over a long period of time to avoid the natives because of the danger they pose to them in hunting them and all this stuff. So there was that. And then there's also the fact that their language is so utterly incomprehensible to even the neighboring tribes. So that suggests, again, that they've maintained hostile isolation for hundreds, perhaps thousands of years, which is really cool. Very cool. So again, like, yeah, like there's all this. Sorry, did you give that number 60,000? 60,000 years ago, approximately, was when they migrated out of Africa. And I had another article that was talking about like the more regional differences um, of the Andamanese islanders and stuff like that. But again, um, it suggested that the early colonization was uh, throughout Southeast Asia and is indicative of phenotype similarities with African groups of that time about 60,000 years ago. Right. Is okay. that, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> I explained that, that, right? So basically they came from Africa and sort of migrated along these coasts along East Asia, or is it East Asia or West Asia? West Asia, sorry. Yeah. Southwest Asia into, from the Indian coast and into, say, Malaysia and where they are today in that Bay of Bengal. Okay. But again, yeah, it's just uh, this... It says, uh, basically, this is a quote here. It says, all lines of evidence, social, cultural, historical, archaeological, linguistic, phenotypic, and genetic, support the conclusion that the Andaman Islanders have been isolated for a substantial period of time. Yeah. Substantial meaning thousands of years. Yes. (laughs) Tens of thousands, potentially. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing that's interesting to me. You know, how'd you get there? That's just it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people obviously migrated out of Africa and, you know, there were there were ways of, get, you know, moving north, basically, right? Like, and the, um, mm-hmm. we talked about this during the Zerzura episode too, like where migration right. patterns went into mm-hmm. Europe and then from east to west in Europe or which direction it went. And there's yeah. been some debate as to whether or not it actually was east to west in, mm-hmm. in terms of migra- human migration. But like, these people don't have seafaring boats, And my question is, is if you're so isolated, you don't have influence from outsiders, you don't have people, you know, like, unless there is some sort of undocumented disease where they died off and came back and like knowledge was lost, Mm -hmm. you'd think that there would be a part of their oral tradition or whatever tradition, knowledge of seafaring boats or knowledge of anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? It just seems bizarre that they wouldn't want to venture out like yeah and that's after they had used it to get there you know what i mean maybe there was some sort of uh spiritual ethos or mythology that was basically making them feel as though they needed to stay in this one secluded area because it's all conjecture right like we don't know 
what the thoughts are of a Sentinelese person. No. We don't know what their, even their religious concepts would be, I per just se, or spiritual concepts. I just fly on the wall so bad. Oh, How it's, cool it's killing that me that we can But this can't. is what I'm thinking. It's like, this is why we need, like, that little fly drone. Yeah. So we can, like, it, it can just be a fly, like, literally a fly on the wall that goes into the jungle and lands on a tree and can get some footage because that would just be so exactly. cool. And even uh, anthropologists today, I, I uh, saw discussions about how they're considering using these, like, ultra-high-tech uh, microphones that they can use um, from boats. And basically, it'll it'll catch uh, the language being spoken on the beach. Crazy. And then they can use that to take it back to their whatever, where they do their analysis in safety. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to get shot in the leg. Yeah. yeah. And then th- that way, they can maybe start to try and piece together some sort of comprehensible analysis of language and, and some sort of way to... But if they can't even do that with the Jirawa, Jirawa, sorry, uh, I feel like it's a bit of a... Might be a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Like, because it would... Here's the thing, because it would take... You'd have to be there. Like, part of, like, linguistic anthropology yeah. is, like, actually physically... Yeah, the context and the physical gestures and things like that to, like, go along with it, right? Right. So it would be so hard to decipher a language from a lab. Or like from an office listening to a recording. But obviously mm. it's still better than not hearing it at all. Because and you can make comparisons to the Jarawa and people that can actually be physically contacted. Yeah. But at the same time, how helpful is that gonna be? Because they were separated from the Sentinelese for so long. <laughs> like they were not, so they're not partners really... or connected or anything. Exactly. Which is just totally bizarre. And, like, we do find this in some other places. So I just had this example of uh, tribes called the Yuri and the Passe in the isolated Colombian Amazon. Okay. Mm -hmm. And basically, sort of, it's a misnomer to call them uncontacted because they obviously have been contacted. And most of them were killed off during the South American rubber boom. Um, So basically a century ago. And now it's from cocaine traffickers and, you know people logging in the rainforest and stuff like that so mm-hmm. their groups are super small but they are essentially isolated in the same sense that the sentinelese are mm-hmm. but because it's not an island they just have to keep moving further and further and further mm-hmm. back into the jungle yeah which is kind of sad but Man, um, what about like i'm trying to think here i wonder what the uh the top oh my gosh the top elevation of the north sentinel island is because you know there's like all these islands that are endangered by the fact that these sea levels are rising so rapidly these days i wonder how they would fare say in like 50 years or like yeah i wonder something like yeah how like, high up it's nice to go? be isolated by water until that water starts rising yeah and no i think i'd rather choose jungle then but yeah. Hmm, yeah. i don't know <laughs> so i mean where are you at like with this in terms of i mean it's sort of hard to say theories really because we know that they came from africa around sixty thousand years ago their descendants Mm-hmm. and that they've been there for a really long time. They haven't inter- interbred with other mm-hmm. islanders. Um, they... They're just... They're just existing, man. They're like... They're like the last snow globe... Right. C- ...civilization. I find it really it's fascinating. So cool. I, I don't really have any conclusions, per se, other than the fact that um, I feel like everyone that is listening to this right now, don't book a vacation there. Don't try and, uh, don't try and befriend these people. That's not um, gonna work you're not going to do them any favors or yourself. No. It's basically all I can say. Yeah. 
And it's just really sad because, like we said right off the top of the bat, 40,000 were estimated to be around on these island chains before uh, the advent of colonization, the yeah. British arriving, all this stuff. Yeah. Again, by 1850s, we're back to about 5,000. Yeah. And now today, there's, 500, there's less than 500, yeah. about 400 Aboriginals left. And that is an estimate that can include the Jarawa and the Ung. And there's basically, it started off with about 10 different distinct tribes in this island chain, the Arch- yeah. Archipelago. Archipelago? <laughs> oh my God, I am sorry. You suck I'm not even going to say that. <laughs> Anyways. But yeah, no, basically what I read was that seven out of 10 of them are gone. Right. And I saw estimates too, like there were some of these tribes, yeah, they, they're basically extinct. They've got like 13 members left. Yeah. So Which just is, really sad. It and, is sad, but I am, I have confidence in the Centilinese people to remain isolated i think that the closer that our civilization gets to collapsing because of the you know the economic dependencies and different things that we have in place right now it probably won't be within our lifetime but when civilization does eventually kind of which it which has always happened throughout history every single major civilization collapses eventually Mm The Sentinelese people will still be chilling. Yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll be chilling on their island. Chilling, chilling, unless their island's underground unless, or underwater, I mean. Yeah. Now, here's an interesting thing. I hope I don't make anyone angry with this sort of theory or anything like that. But hmm. we, when we were looking into isolated tribes... I'm one already of the, angry. One of, the, <laughs> yeah, one of the stories that came up was the Michael Rockefeller case in Papua New Guinea. Oh, um, yeah. Where he disappeared trying to quote-unquote, contact remote headhunting tribes. Right. Um, and then later the on... heck would you be doing that? <laughs> because, well, because the story goes that his family had opened a museum of, like, primitive art. And, and oh, yeah, this he was, was an art collector. This was his mm-hmm. way of basically getting into the family fortune. He was like, I'm going to go the academic route. I'm going to be an anthropologist or whatever and go to Papua New Guinea to obtain artifacts to bring back for the museum. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he disappeared. The story goes, like, he yeah. was with a, one other person in the boat you know offshore the the boat capsized and it was rough seas and apparently according to his companion michael's last words were i think i can make it yeah referring to the shore and he decided to abandon the boat and the other guy stayed on and he was rescued later on by a helicopter yeah and then essentially yeah the the official narrative was that he had drowned Right. And then but they started to uncover information. That's not how yeah. it happened. Yeah, and um, he... There was actually a tribal chief that was interviewed later in the 70s who told reporters that he was the one who killed Michael Rockefeller. Really? Yeah. And he, and, and it was just a routine thing, like the way they always, the, the way it would yeah. be because they, because he had not befriended them. He was basically mm. in there thinking money could buy everything mm-hmm. and was just bringing back artifacts for the museum. Not to say that he was just a, like, no, he wasn't you know, like chucking money out and everything. No, like, no, he seemed no. very but he did, genuine in his he attempts. He was confident, overconfident. Overconfident, though. yeah. Overconfident. What year was that? That was in the 60s. I think 66, okay. I want to say. There is an episode on in, of him on In Search Of with our right. friend Spock. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I don't think I finished that thought. Though. You didn't. Was sorry. I, was I finished, where, where was I? You were gonna choo choo. Where's the train of thought? Oh right. Yeah. yeah so the so looking for remote peoples in New Guinea. It's derailed and derailed. Gone. Okay. What are, what episode are we on here? It's episode twelve. Um, but okay. Now, now we're just all over the map. Okay. okay. Finish your thought. Finish the thought. So um, there was a cool story that came out of that an adjacent story to the Michael Rockefeller that some of these tribes he was attempting to contact claimed to be one of the lost tribes of Israel. Hmm. 
and th- and they still claim to to this day and Judaism is being practiced by a large group of people in Papua New Guinea which is absolutely bizarre what? right um, we kind of came across this during the Zuzura yeah, episode right yeah. okay okay um so anyway it's just kind of a fun idea uh but could the Sentinelese or the Adamandese people potentially have a link to this as well if Ugh. we don't know exactly why they're there, how they got there. And ter- like, we know where they're from, but we don't, that's, that's 60,000 years ago. We're, we're not, we don't know the but rest the of the tribes of Israel were not 60,000 years ago. That was about like 3,000 years ago, wasn't it? No, I'm just saying like, oh. is there, is there some sort of a connection to these people? Like, is there some sort of like. To the people that claim to have a connection to the lost tribes of Israel and then the, Adam, or sorry, the Sentinelese, that's what you're like, trying I'm to just, Like, I'm just, I'm just trying to come up with a theory as to like why they're so hostile other than just the idea that they had early contacts with Europeans and some people got sick. Like, is there some sort of a reason why, like, are they guarding a secret? Are they, are they, they're different than the Jarawa. They're different than these other people who were just as exposed to disease and exploitation, but they're Mm -hmm. different. They have a different response. Sort of similar to how you would say the headhunters of Papua New Guinea are pretty hostile. Yeah. I guess that's the connection I'm trying to make. Okay. And I just thought it was an interesting thing with Michael Rockefeller going in there. It's just a famous case or whatever. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I guess the timelines don't match up. But it's just an interesting... It's just... Yeah. Are they guarding something? Is there something about them that they just... They don't want people to find out? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because why would the Hmm. Jarawa be... Is it just because of location that they would be less hostile? Well, when you right? look at it like, on the Google map, it it's... Yeah, they're definitely a lot more central. Yeah. A lot easier. Like, how big was the Jarawa Island again? Well, the Jarawa were on, like, the mainland, too. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's quite it large. It's yeah. larger than the space for the, uh, the Sentinelese <laughs> people. The Redskin Island. The Man Gluten. Sorry, I'm just looking at Google Earth now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I suppose the timeline doesn't match up for that, but I just thought it was interesting because it's obviously a group of, like, super isolated people. That's very curious. I, yeah. You know what I mean? I really have struggle with this, this extreme hostility. I just feel like it has to have something to do with their spiritual ethos. I mm. feel like there I has to that's... be something there that dictates... Obviously, obviously everyone's ethos dictates how they live their lives, but theirs in particular has to have some sort of, either they consider anything off the island. Like, could you imagine, I'm just trying to think, like, what if they consider North Sentinel as Earth and everything else is extraterrestrial to them? Right. Like, they're existing on their lonely little planet that's about... 60 kilometers big and when they see another person that doesn't look like them it's like they kind think of it's almost a different the race. other it's like yes. the other yeah it's the abject yeah where it's like uncanny I, or whatever. exactly i don't identify with you right and therefore i'm just trying to picture it from the side like i'm i'm going at it from like a ufo encounter type experience right where it's completely outside your realm of conception And we did touch on that again, right, with the the helicopters and the technology that we have in modern day and how that could be so alien. Maybe maybe the Sentinelese have been uh, subjects to abductions and that's why they're distrusting of helicopters and things. You never know. Fascinating stuff, though. And just right off the bat, when when I discovered these people, it was on the pretense of the people with no fire. And I was just immediately just, I needed to know more. And yeah, it really grabs you this story. It does. 
I just, I really hope the best for these people. It's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> I want, I wish I could see them. But at the same time, that would obviously just be contributing to like the the, the tourism, which is destroying yeah, it's almost the like a contamination and, or something. And it's like, but it, you can just imagine how it would have been so adventurous for you know the wife of a uh, a British governor in India in the eighteen eighties or whatever, being like, you can go see the last tribe of uncontacted mm. people. Yeah, it's a big industry. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's. That's one of the sad things with the Jerala. That's what it is now. It's basically just an industry, tourism, mm-hmm. and... The pitfalls that they've encountered by sort of, yeah, joining into our modern society is just... Yeah. It does parallel for me a lot of what's occurred since um, colonization and contact with uh, like North American indigenous, with Europeans right. and whatever is very... A lot of, especially just... with the alcoholism, the social exactly. issues, that type Those of thing. Those are definitely the crossovers. And the fact that they are obviously on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum yeah. for the most part. It makes you want to go... It makes me want to go just live in the woods. Yep. Like, I, I'm, I'm sort of jealous of these people, like I said before. Hmm. Like, I just think they've so got a pretty unique yeah. way of life. Man. You know, like none other on earth anymore. Even the tribes in the Amazon and in New Guinea. It's just not the same. Not the same. So anyway, I guess we're going to wrap this up. Yep. Thanks, everybody. We hope you guys enjoyed this. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed this sort of slightly different style of episode. It basically had no paranormal elements. No, it was (laughs) Besides us conjecturing about aliens. Yeah, I mean, but it was just, it's, I mean... We're, we're going to be coming at you with more like this too, like we, yeah. because we want to get into history and anthropology as well. Oh, yeah. And we will hopefully have some interviews lined up with some people from uh, UBC from that we're trying and... to line up. Yeah. But uh, just so cool, the idea that people can be left uncontacted. And I feel like just to finish this off, just to tie mm-hmm. in a tiny bit of paranormal to it, <laughs> you could use the same sort of um, thinking when we've applied to the Sentinelese people and their isolation when you're thinking about looking for a Bigfoot or looking for certain things, I mean, these are a specific human that's, that is pre-Neolithic mm-hmm. that has remained isolated and survived without any of the stuff that we've dealt with over mm-hmm. the centuries. Yep. And if that can happen with a group of humans, then why not What else is possible else? in this world, right? Yeah. And on that note... Until next week. Well, uh, as always, though, um, we would just like to thank our listeners and our supporters. We have so many of them. We're just really grateful It's been growing. The show's been growing since we started, like, every week. Mm -hmm. And it's all thanks to you guys. So you're amazing. Um, Please pass it on to friends and family. That's the best way for the show to grow Mm -hmm. is just word of mouth. Yeah. Personal recommendations go a long way. So challenge somebody to listen to a podcast. Yeah. Or listen to something weird if they don't get into weird stuff. That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, so reach out to us on Twitter. We have, uh, yeah. At our... Into the Portal 1 and at Amber yep. Ray 1992. Mm-hmm. And then. And then as well on Instagram, we have our Into the Portal podcast, I yep. believe is our handle. And yeah. <laughs> we should probably know that right off the bat. Probably. Yeah, and then just look out for the blog post coming at you sometime this week and lots of fun stuff. Like, we're just, we're, we're trying to experiment a bit. There's going to be some YouTube stuff happening the next yeah. little bit, so. Should we give a teaser for next week, our, our, our episode that's coming out next week? I don't know, should we? Uh, okay, I think we should. We're doing an episode with... Mad Scientist Podcast! Woo! Woo! So we're stoked. We're teaming up with Chris and Marie from Mad Scientist. Mm-hmm. And so that's coming at you next week. So stay tuned for that. Woo! So thanks again for listening. 
and we'll catch up with you guys in about seven days. Selling a little, or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap, or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.